everyone. Thanks for joining us again on the Reality 3.0 podcast. I am Catherine Bruckman, and I am with Doc Searles, as usual. And today we have a very interesting guest. His name is Robert Douglas. And Robert and I have known each other for a long time through the Drupal community, but Robert is up to some really interesting things with open source software and hosting. And I think he's going to have some really um, useful input for those of us looking to explore options that are more privacy respecting as far as replacing our some of our cloud apps. But before we get into that, I want to let Robert introduce himself. Hey, thanks, Catherine. And great to be here. And that was a very nice introduction. <laughs> And I hope that you're right that I have some great things to tell you about protecting your privacy, but it's unfortunately going to be a, a mixed story. It's not just all good news. So it'll hopefully uh, maybe introduce you to a couple of tools that you may or may not have heard of and also encourage you to look at them, but it won't be like you can go replace Zoom and Slack at the click of a button and have 100% everything you had before with no work. It's not like that. But we'll, that's jumping the gun. Let's get to it in good time. Stay tuned. It's not that hard though, right? I mean, yeah. It's not that hard-ish. Okay, there we go. That, that's, that's very optimistic. So Doc, you were, just, you were just telling us a little bit of a story, and I wondered if you could, could uh, recap that and share with us what we're concerned about today in particular, which may not exactly uh, be on topic as far as replacing cloud services, but is, however, very timely and important. Well, it's, it's interesting that the, to me that we, we had conferencing um, kicking around a very long time. And we had these sort of, uh, we kind of put up with them uh, conferencing I guess cloud-based. I don't know if, if, if actually Skype ever was cloud-based. I guess it was. Everything's kind of cloud-based at this point um, at some level, at some deeper level. But you know, we had Skype and we had WebEx and we had GoToMeeting and we had free conference call and we had a bunch of other stuff. Where there's re a lot of competition in a market where actually, as far as I know, all the codecs were proprietary and there was a sort of a proprietary base level on all of them. But it was not a very sexy or interesting thing until we had this virus. In the meantime, Zoom had kind of emerged as a total leader. I mean, it was just, we're using it here. And about a week and a half ago, maybe about two weeks ago, they just started getting the shit beat out of them. And including by me. In fact, I had more traffic on my blog for stuff that I wrote about their privacy policy than I had almost ever had. It was, it was remarkable. Within, I mean, I'd normally get dozens of people on my blog and I blog about once a week or maybe even once a month at this point. It used to be many times a day, but, um, but all of a sudden I've got 25, 30,000 people who are looking at my blog to see what I said about uh, Zoom. And actually I was only just taking issue with their privacy policy and telling them to, to get the trackers off their website. I didn't deal with anything else, but suddenly I became this guy that got sourced a lot on Zoom and privacy and to their credit, uh, by the I, I kept writing about it over and over again because it became a moving story. Um, and then they changed their privacy policy, and I wrote about that. And their CEO reached out to me, and I had a conversation with him. His name is Eric Yuan. Uh, seemed like a really good guy. I had a really good uh, talk with him. And he said he would do exactly what I told him to do, which is stop 
get all the trackers off of their homepage, turn their homepage into the brochure it ought to be, get the marketing shit somewhere else. And he said, yeah. We talked about how we'd have a fight with marketing about that. And not much about all the other stuff that they were involved with. In the meantime, they get hit with a lot of other privacy stuff. And they just have become like, you know, as they should be, like the punching bag and with some cause. Uh, and I've, But I haven't written anything more about it except a tiny little bit and it's something I put up yesterday. So I'm really interested in hearing about all the alternatives at this point. Uh, but while also respecting the fact that I know a lot more about them now and they are doing some cool stuff and there's not an accident that we're using them now. Um, I also think what we're doing now is not especially private. Like there's not one of the, you know, we're not discussing stock prices. We're not, you know, doing an MA thing. We're not doing company secrets. We're not talking with our shrink. Um, We literally plan on publishing this on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I suppose somebody could jump in here and, 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 you know, cause havoc or, or jump ahead of us and put it out there. Um, but an awful lot of what we do online is not especially private or doesn't really need to be. So, but all these things have been terribly blurred. And I just want to get that out because for a few days, I was in the middle of this and, um, <clears throat> and I'm actually waiting to hear back from Eric Yuan. He said he wanted to talk more. Um, that was, uh, nine, 10 days ago, I haven't heard from him. So I don't know what the deal is. I suspect he's a little busy right now. Uh, he is very busy. And I, and I, I excuse that actually. I mean, I, I, I think it's, he's, he has better things to do. So, you know, one of the things that I found, I, I spoke to a friend who's with the, uh, with a really big org that has a, um, the top level deal with Zoom. And he showed me how they monitor, how they can monitor every line and the performance on the line and the learning they get out of it and how they're constantly adjusting the bandwidth and a whole lot of other stuff that was really interesting. And, um, but I, I didn't realize it was that complicated and it really is actually. So uh, we were talking earlier though about um, Apple and Google and I, I think I think you mentioned that you you had some thoughts on on the, the news that came out today and and everyone's glowing praise for Apple and Google and some thoughts you had that may not be glowing praise. As no. soon as you hear contact tracing, that just screams privacy loss. Um, yeah, uh, but but yet they make sure to point out that this this will of course obviously respect, yeah, it's, respect well, it's, user it's, privacy because it's that's up, possible. And I. I <clears throat> I trust Google about as far as I can throw them. Um, I trust Apple a little bit more um, in part because, or entirely because um, they're not in the, they're really not in the tracking business and they don't have to be. And there's a, there's a lot of liability for them if they're caught doing it. And they've done a really good job, I think, of stating, I think as strong a privacy position as they can, especially on their health stuff. And I know some of the people who worked with them on, on the terms uh, for the use of their health app, uh, you know, where all the data is yours, it's not theirs. If you want to participate in, uh, in studies, for example, uh, uh, it's entirely opt-in. You're, you're owed the data that you give them at the end of it uh, in a form that you can use. I'm not sure what that would be in a lot of cases, but um, very handy for studying um, uh, oh, 
um, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, um, how well you're adjusting to surgeries, all kinds of stuff that that could be useful to you. And uh, this, I gather from having taken a glance at it, it's really fresh news, is opt-in. It isn't opt-out. Um, there's no shaming of you if you don't do it, which you have, for example, in, um, as I understand it anyway, in Korea. I mean, in Korea, um, there it's actually just a matter of, you know, sort of respect for others that you are going to submit to the same, to reporting everybody you've met with and, and you, everybody knows everything about each other in respect to this virus. And it has been very effective for them. Uh, and, but they also have a, a this is a really important point. Um, like most countries, they have in a way we would call single, single payer. Uh, but, but basically healthcare is a right and not a privilege it, it's not like the U.S. in the sense that we have a B2B insurance business here. Healthcare is, is an insurance business. It's not a retail business. I mean, you can buy your, you can pay retail for your healthcare, but you're not going to, an awful lot of stuff will never get done because you can't afford it. You just can't afford it. So, so you have to, it's a B2B insurance business. And, and that actually incentivizes not disclosing uh, anything about yourself that, that raises your risk profile and may deny you coverage downstream. So that is something nobody ever talks about is that this is a B2B insurance business. It's not, it's not the free and open market we tend to think of when we talk about a free market. It's a, it's a specialized market that's a B2B business between companies where we have, we are beneficiaries in a secondary sense and sharing data, even having data, even owning data, having rights to data is, not in the picture for us. I mean, when you, you have a right to the data that you get, that your doctor or, or your um, clinic uh, gets, you have a right to that, but it's basically their data. So it's a really complicated situation here. It could be we need giant companies like Apple and Google to get together on something like this. But I don't know what happens, you know, once we've let them have the data, there's a... Um, you know, again, I think it wouldn't be in Google's interest to match that up with advertising. So all of a sudden, as soon as the cure is found, you're getting ads for, for that, you know, from some pharma that's going to give you the cure because you've, you haven't yet contracted, go, you know, COVID-19 type five or whatever it is that you might be uh, at risk for. So I don't know. That, don't may know. Be, that may be enough to work with. I mean, it could be you could opt into that. You could, it could be you could say, hey, Google, um, I would like to have that at some point, and maybe Google will will work that in somehow. They probably would want to do that now that I think about it. Yeah, there is a precedent for using health information um, for advertising, and that's using menstrual cycle tracking to target yeah. advertising to women. So, I mean, that's, it's a thing that happens. And, and you know what you say, actually, that nobody's talking about this. Nobody talks about this until you are unfortunate enough to have even a relatively minor chronic disease. And then this is what you think about all the time, I think. I mean, I, you know, so I was watching it, you know, a TV, a, a TV personality suggested that, you know, in the not so near future, we may find ourselves using technology, like for example, an Apple watch that has all these great sensors, but it wouldn't be too difficult, I don't think, for them to add some sort of sem temperature sensing that could at least detect a fever. And we all, you know, when we want to go to a, a public event, a conference, a stadium, whatnot, we wave our 
personal device to prove that we're healthy in order to be allowed in. And, and of course, in that, that reality, you know, sends me into kind of a panic because what, you know, what else can you do with that data and, and how, how many steps does it take for that data to be used for commerce? Because the first thing that I always think of is, you know, there's used to be this thing that went around, you know, the internet. It was a recording of um, somebody trying to order a pizza and the conclusion is basically like, oh, I'm sorry, because of this and this health information, we, we, we can't allow you to order this pizza because you have high cholesterol and, you know, they say, you know all this sort of thing. And, and, and that's the kind of thing that I always go back to in my mind. Well, how, how soon is it? that, you know, the Apple Watch has blood glucose monitoring and, and tells everybody, rats on everybody every time they have a cookie to their uh, insurance company. <laughs> because this is America and health is a business. And anyway, well, I digress a, a bit. Th- th- this is a fascinating introduction to I know, yes. <laughs> the topic that you invited me to talk about. But it's actually even more interesting because it's always a balance and a battle between convenience versus privacy right? So yes, exactly. That is that the heart of the matter. Choose any SaaS uh, or tool, SaaS product or tool is because it's convenient to use. It's easy to use. It was actually easy to get people onto Facebook so that I could communicate with them. People who had never emailed me in my life would write me messages on Facebook. Uh, I even got my 80 some year old grandmother on Facebook and she was able to send me messages, but she couldn't check her email or do other things with her computer. So it's all about the convenience. And maybe now when you say that with the, the stadium and the admission to the, like the group setting based on the uh, fact that you have a fever or not, then I can actually imagine using in the, in the thought experiment, would I use this? Would I oppose this? I can use, convenience uh, and safety as synonyms. So maybe it's not so much about whether it's convenient for me to use the Apple Watch and use that as an admission to a stadium, but maybe it's about the safety. And it might send you into a panic thinking about somebody knowing something about your body that you might not even have detected the fact that you've got a fever and using that to make decisions about what you're granted access to and permitted to do. But other people might go into a panic and a frenzy thinking about you coming into the stadium and spreading a virus that you didn't even know you had. And where do you balance those two extremes and the, the, you know, the concerns of the individual versus the concerns of the many and that doesn't that you know i raise that rhetorical question even before we get into the questions of data governance and uh data privacy and all of that and and let's not even forget that we're talking about uh, a country the united states of america that is simply in the throes of showing that nobody even at the topest level of government cares about any rule that exists to begin with so how do you feel safe in that context uh I don't know. That is an excellent question. I mean, I can tell you about Slack alternatives and how to host them, but I don't yeah. think I can tell you how to feel safe in uh, a context like that. Yeah, we've gone dark already. It's inevitable. <laughs> we always go to these really dark places early on in these podcast recordings. Well, that's fine. <laughs> it's, you know, and you have to dig your way out. It's yeah, like, it's our MO. It's, a, it, it's basically like a movie plot. Yes. Well, we're in the weirdest moment in 
modern civilization, I think. We've never had this before. We've never had both. I mean, we've had pandemics. We never had pandemic plus internet, you know, plus lots of ways that everybody can connect with everybody at almost no cost across any distance and exchange information. Uh, it's like we have the biggest gossip channel ever, ever invented in the history of humanity, plus something that's really worth gossiping about, plus the complete falling apart in some ways, or just fracturing into a zillion pieces of traditional media. We're part of that. This is a tiny fraction right here of what used to be radio, right? I mean, that's what this is. This is what used to be radio is now this and, and streaming and a bunch of other stuff. <clears throat> but I, 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 I'm actually pretty optimistic about where this goes because I think there's going to be, there's so much broken field running across a field that just got invented. There are no real formal games to play on it yet. And all the old formal games are actually kind of getting in the way. It's like, wait a minute, it's not golf or football or basketball. It's something else. And wait a minute, this isn't, isn't even grass and it's not desert. What the hell is this? I don't know, but we're here now and everybody's running and, and some of us are dying and let's pay attention to that. But maybe, maybe, maybe you shouldn't because if we stop everything, then the economy stops, that's going to kill a lot of people. And so, and, and the, our, lots of arguments are happening on, on, on established norms, but the established norms themselves are kind of half out the window. And, and it's interesting, the safe thing, I mean, I, a joke I tell about myself is I've been young for a long time, but unfortunately I'm in, a, I'm in like the bullseye demographic for this disease. And, and looking at the, the collective statistics, for example, you know, the curve and whether the curve flattened out and the curve's going down, meaning that the hospitals can now absorb more patients. But as long as there's not a cure or a vaccine for this, I'm not sure that I want to play Russian roulette that with a gun that has one bullet in 10 chambers, you know, that, cause that's what it is for, for me. Right. But so I'm like doubling, tripling and quadrupling down on this kind of work rather than what I might do if I was out in the world. You know, it's really, it's really kind of interesting that, you know, what, you know, where, where we're going with this. So well, we're glad we have the internet, though. I mean, this, oh God, yeah. the, the, the virus could have come at any time in human history and viruses like it might have been there before uh, in 1918, for example. But uh, the things that I see people using the internet for in this context are absolutely amazing. Now, imagine that our only source of official like information were the White House press briefing every oh my God. they do it. Yeah. We'd be believing every word we hear from that. But in fact, by the time anybody watches the White House press briefing, they more or less have heard every fact that is uttered and they can identify the lies and the mistakes that are being made because they've actually gone and informed themselves. They've read uh, case studies and history from China and from Germany and from Italy and Spain where the virus has been harder hitting uh, in the early days than in the United States. They can write, read uh, John Hopkins uh, and other medical clinics publishing about it. They can read the CDC directly. Uh, they can share information. So like the searching for the information is, is very efficient. You go to uh, Reddit or your family chat where people are sharing things or Facebook groups that are discussing them and you can get information even pertinent to your industry. So I've read a lot of, uh, 
stuff about tech companies working from home, but I know that people in the gastronomy uh, industries have their channels and uh, travel industry has their channels and they're getting specialized information and they're well-informed. Everybody's well-informed. My mom and dad are in the next room reading on their phone about COVID-19 and they are well-informed. I don't have to tell them. I don't have to bring them up to date. They know. They'll tell me things. So, hey, if we're going to have a virus like this with or without the internet, you give me the internet any day. Oh, so absolutely. An inter- yeah. An interesting thing, though, in, in respect to that is that um, I'm, I'm thinking of how Marshall McLuhan said, it's hard to recognize that without radio, we wouldn't have Hitler or Gandhi. And in a similar way, I think without the internet, we would not have had Trump, or we, I don't think we would have had Obama before that. We would have, you know, we would have had yet another boring, well-qualified, compromised in the usual ways, white guy. Trump you know, is a product of television. He is, yes, exactly. He's a product of television, but he's also a product of, I mean, he tweets, that works. He's, his, he has a, a cohort that lives for his every word. And, you know, I think we all know some of these people and maybe some are listening right now that, you know, that, that the guy can do no wrong. It doesn't matter that he lies. And to, to a high degree, I mean, it's partly Fox News and it's partly the internet too. Uh, and I'm not arguing against the internet. I think the, the condition that we're in is that we're digital now and not just physical. And we're digital beings. You know, if we're just physical beings, we'd have to meet somewhere, but we don't, we're meeting on this and this is a digital place. And, and we're, we have a digital instantiation that is different. And I, and my, my feeling about this and Catherine's heard me too many times on this, I think, is that we're really at the beginning of this. This is a state change in the history of our species. That's bigger than what television was bigger than what radio was bigger than what print was. And we're barely starting to cope with it and some amazing stuff. So, Do you mean the virus or the internet? The internet. Ah. No, not the virus. The vi- virus, viruses happen, you know, then there will be more. And we'll be better prepared. I think that's, this has been Bill Gates' thing. I think Bill Gates is like mm-hmm. due for victory lap on this one. He gave, you know, this talk and a TED talk in 2015 saying pretty much one of these is coming and it came five years later. Now he's doing a lot of great work on it with his foundation and the rest of it. And one of the things he's been saying on TV and on radio and other places is we'll be a lot more ready next time. And I think that's true. Yeah. Give that guy a raise. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) And and, and he's also saying this one, this one may be, this one may not be that difficult in comparison. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, I mean, interesting. The, but, but it's important to say that. I mean, it, you know, it's important if the facts point to that, if the evidence points to that, it's important to say it and let's get all that innovation going, you know? And, and I think we are seeing a lot of that, but I digress. I don't want to get us too far off the topic because I think we do want to dive into some of our new reality, uh, you know, as it relates to existing on the internet fu- fully. Like as, as Doc likes to say, we are digital beings, although I think there are degrees of, let's call it a lifestyle or an existence. But not everybody was such as digital a being as probably the three of us are, or have been for a while. Oh, yeah, and yet weird. now everybody's in the same boat. And we're digital in different ways, right? Yes, yeah, so. exactly. But now, you know, I think there are people out there that are using these tools a lot more than they ever have. And there are there is a group of people, regardless of you know how long they've been using these tools, who is very concerned with their privacy on the internet because 
you know, if you're, if you're listening, you know, you don't, you don't need us to reiterate the importance of that, but, but it's a struggle. I mean, it is a struggle because, because, you know, it goes back to the thing that Robert just said about the trade-off between convenience and privacy. So, so what I'd hoped we might do is give a little advice, you know, for people who find themselves now completely reliant on online collaboration tools, what options do they have? Um, and where to get started, really, at, you know, exploring those options. And then with that, I think maybe I'd like to hand it over to Robert. To sure. Thanks. And I think to start off, I just need to tell the story about how I got here on this podcast, what caught your attention mm-hmm. that, it, that led you to invite me to this podcast with you and Doc. So I work for a company. It's, it's called Platform SH. We do specialized web hosting. It's a cool company. Check it out. But we use Slack, okay, for our day-to-day communication. Slack's amazing, and we benefit from it so much. We're nearly 100% remote distributed company, so it's really important that the tools that we use do it for us, you know, really facilitate communication because most of us are sitting at our kitchen table or are on our couch and doing our work, and we really need the communication to work or we wouldn't be able to build a competitive global company as we're doing. We also use the entire G Suite, so the mail, the Google Docs, the calendaring, and uh, and Google Meets, a lot of Google Meets. So between Slack and Google Meets, that's basically our communication needs. But Slack isn't quite as reliable as Google Google is uh, in terms of uptime overall. So we also have a fallback in case Slack goes down, which it has done maybe three times over the past eight years. So it's a pretty good track record, Um, not a slam against Slack in any way. But Slack has gone down. And when Slack goes down, we switch to our always ready Mattermost instance. So I hadn't really thought about that very much until all of the remote work started. And then I saw a couple things happening. I saw a lot of people posting videos and tutorials about using Zoom and Slack and uh, Google Meets and Google Docs and Dropbox for collaboration. I was like, wow, that's really cool. All of these people up-tooling and uh, upskilling on their digital abilities and improving their communication and, you know, working with groups, you know, learning to work like I've been working with my company for the last 10 years. That's really nice. I liked seeing that, but they're all using these proprietary things. And on the other hand, I started seeing a lot of concern from some groups, groups that can't use those tools, European groups that don't trust American cloud companies for whatever reason uh, or are legally bound to not use them. And I also saw lots and lots and lots of indications that authorities all over the world are simply going to use the pandemic as an excuse, as a chance to tighten controls on communication and demand things like, you know, Apple, you really can decrypt that message. Why don't you do that for us? Because, you know, it's in the public health's interest. So, of course, you should decrypt that message that you previously said you couldn't decrypt. And, yeah, we've seen that before. Uh, There's legislation uh, that's being worked on that's, you know, 
meant to undermine the uh, sacrosanct aspect of encryption, which is that you <laughs> you need the keys to decrypt it. Um, so I thought, okay, we've got all of these authorities who are once again infringing on people's privacy, trying to like be able to snoop on everything that's said anywhere, anytime, because that's how they feel they have to operate to do their job. And we've got these people who are turning to these tools and we use this matter most at my company. <laughs> so like, let me check that out. So I did. So uh, my team uh, worked on Mattermost and uh, we also uh, came up with a couple other tools that work really nicely called NextCloud and Jitsi. And we, we researched what it takes to host those uh, as a self-hosted product so that you can set up groupware communication tools that are similar to G Cloud or G Suite um, Zoom and Slack, uh, but host it yourself so you've got some control over the data privacy. And what I found was simultaneously very encouraging and very discouraging at the same time. So what I found was that we, as a traditional web application hoster, have absolutely no problem hosting Mattermost or part of NextCloud, for example. So with Mattermost, the Slack alternative, we now have a one-click installation for that. And you can basically have a Mattermost up and running in a minute with our system. And there are others that can do it too. And it's really great. And you've got most of the Slack functionality and a couple of features that are really nice that Slack might not have. And it's your own data. Now you have to trust your hosting provider a little bit, but uh, at least you can encrypt your disk, right? So if you know how to encrypt your disk and... Uh, launch a Mattermost in a Docker container or use the platform SH template for that, then you've got a Slack alternative that is secure, end-to-end -end encrypted, data at rest, encrypted, and you're in control. It's more work and it's more responsibility than just signing up for Slack, but it's actually not a lot less convenient. That was really uh, a good feeling to me. With Nextcloud, Nextcloud is a, a really amazing tool from Germany uh, that's used in a lot of European governments because it provides a lot of the same functionality that G Suite offers, but it's self-hosted and also and, and encrypt. It claims it doesn't even leak metadata, which is really nice. And we discovered that we're able to very easily host the part of it that replaces, say, Dropbox or the calendaring, or if you have an email server to add to it, then the, the email part of it. So calendaring, email, uh, Dropbox, uh, Google, uh, Google Docs part of it, uh, good, fine. Uh, the, the part where, we, uh, where I was disappointed was when we looked into the Jitsi part, and Jitsi is like a Zoom alternative. Okay, you can host uh, web and voice meetings uh, just like the one we're talking on now, but self-hosted. Uh, or you can use the public Jitsi uh, meet um, uh, server, or I guess probably many servers, but you know endpoint that they provide. And that's really cool. But if you really want to self-host Jitsi, and if you want to self-host something that does web meetings and voice over IP, then your traditional web hoster isn't going to cut it because all of a sudden you, stun, you, you, you start running into terms like stun servers and turn servers and 
RTP protocols and it's not all HTTP based, it's UDP based. And all of a sudden I was in a, a, a part of the networking universe where my brain just turns into mush and where we have ports closed and they can't be opened and we had to admit defeat without changing our product. So we weren't able to host Jitsi right off, which was really sad for me. So a traditional web hoster can't do that because uh, to host something that's, uh, you know, handling streams and peer to peer streams and like doing uh, the transcoding and the uh, routing of those streams, it takes a, a different type of computing resource than a, t a traditional web app is uh, consuming. So Platform SH wasn't able to host one of those and it was sad for me. And it just gave me uh, a glimpse into, once again, this paradigm, this balance between convenience and privacy. So if somebody wants to actually host something that replaces Zoom, there is a tool for it, but you have to look beyond traditional web hosting to be able to host it and look for specialized hosting that hosts turn servers and stun servers instead of uh, Nginx servers. So I mean, that's my intro to the tools that I came here to talk about, Catherine. Fantastic. So, so can you give us an idea of, because of, you know, most people are, who are in business are in the business of making money. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about the cost difference between a self-hosted approach and a cloud service approach? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a really interesting question because uh, you have to add a different column to the cost equation. So when you buy a, a, a SaaS service, it's usually like you assume the convenience is going to be there and that you have very little work to set up. Uh, so you basically just look at their pricing model, whether it's, you know, per user per month type of thing or whatever licensing scheme that SaaS uh, product is offered and there are you know two or three or four main types of pricing schemes that we're all familiar with and you just figure out what it's going to cost to meet your needs for your organization and then you can ask yourself whether it's worth it based on what you think the perceived functionality and benefits going to be and with slack i prefaced that with saying that that tool basically runs my company right that in g suite so they could probably double their prices and we would just keep paying it. Don't listen to this slack. Yeah, I didn't shh, don't, do tell. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. But I mean, in reality, there's a lot of value that comes from that tool. And uh, for a lot of people, it would be really hard to replace with self-hosted. Then you have to, you have to have the, the monthly payment you're going to pay to somebody, which would be then to your hosting provider, uh, which essentially just moves the privacy concern to a different layer. So it still exists. You have to trust your hosting provider. You have to be able to put technological safeguards in place like encryption uh, on the disk and over the wire to make sure that nobody's looking at your data if that's your concern. Uh, but the hosting provider will be cheaper because they're just selling you one part of the equation. They're selling you the compute power to run the application storage to store your data, whereas the SaaS provider was charging you for that plus the uh, 
you know, the, the work that they have to do to keep the service online and monitored and scaled, plus the value pricing that they would uh, sell to you to say, yeah, well, you're getting, you know, this much value, so we should get a part of that, even if it's beyond their costs, which is fair. So, you know, your hosting provider is going to charge you less money to run a Mattermost than Slack charges you. And that's just if you want to take the open source version and run it yourself. Mattermost will also sell you a support contract, uh, a support subscription if, if you want, if you need help, if you want that safeguard uh, to be able to problem solve and troubleshoot with the software. And that will still be less than Slack charges you. Okay. And you might think, great, I can get everything that I'm getting from Slack with Mattermost for a lower price. And that's true. You will pay less money for the software and for the hosting than you would for Slack. And you will get most of the features. But there's a but. (laughs) (laughs) There's always a but. But it's not as convenient. Fortunately, with Mattermost, my experience is that it's actually pretty damn close. And I would actually recommend people who want that control and that privacy to dump Slack and go out and use Mattermost. Why not? They are nearly at feature parity and self-hosting a Mattermost seems really straightforward to me. Uh, As I mentioned, we've got a one-click template for it and it works right out of the box. Absolutely no problem. Uh, As I mentioned though, the other tools that have more, that have different dependencies than just like your traditional web hosting dependencies, those get a little bit harder. And that's where this extra column in the cost equation really comes into play. That column is how much work are you going to have to do and how much expertise are you going to have to have to actually make this work and pull it off? Not just when you set it up, but operationally and down the line. That's kind of like a really long column title. You'd probably want to reformat it, but... (laughs) It's a big column and And that (laughs) is super variable and it really depends on who you are and who you have on your team who can handle those things and how much you're paying them. And if you're paying that person 150 grand a year, you know, then you're going to really have to consider how much money you're saving in the first column if it's going to be, you know, convenient for you. And then you come back to that convenience or price versus privacy equation. So it's not clear cut, Catherine. It's not. I want it to be clear cut because (laughs) ideology and dogma is way easier than real life. Right. Always. So, well, so in that, that's also a a good point. And that is, does it necessary, there's a necessarily satisfying our our collective you know those of us who are let's say privacy enthusiasts <laughs> does it even satisfy that because i mean it and what i'm getting at is are, are there any sort of gotchas or considerations that maybe we're not thinking about like is this an easy privacy and or security band-aid or i mean i there must be additional considerations um aside from just switching platforms aside from it, you know, the magic of, of a self-hosted app is it, not all magic. I mean, you have to, there are still, you know, considerations. I wondered if you could talk a little bit well, about Well, considerations is a little vague, but let me yes, just guess at what you might have meant. Let me take Edward Snowden as an example. Yes. Edward Snowden magically made it to Russia alive. And as far as I know, he's still alive. That to me is miraculous and wonderful. And I hope that that continues for a very, very, very long time. 
because I kind of like the guy. And one of the tools that helped him get there that he promoted after he succeeded in saving his own skin was Signal. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Signal, uh, this does, and this doesn't even touch the realm of self-hosted versus whatever. It's basically just one of the, the messaging apps that you can download onto an iPhone or an Android phone, which gets a bit of text from one person to another. But Signal, out of all of the apps that seem to be available, has the endorsement and blessing of Edward Snowden, and he's got a nice real-life case study to back him up that it actually works. Because if it didn't work, he would have been in deep shit, and he wouldn't have made it. And <laughs> Yeah. So I use Signal for all of my personal messaging chats when I can. Okay, so... Uh, considerations. So that's, that's an easy example because it's actually no harder to install Signal than it is WhatsApp. But you know WhatsApp is spying on you. It's owned by Facebook. Right. Of course they're spying on you. They're basically printing it out and pasting it on the NSA's wall. <laughs> okay? You know that's there. You just know it. If, if you don't know that, then you can't be helped and you deserve what's coming to you. So this is an easy decision to make, okay? Signal versus WhatsApp. However, it's a lot more nuanced when you move to the rest of the stack and you have to actually put work into using them. Let's presume that a large number of your listenership are actually well-versed in installing their own operating system of choice and opening up a command line, installing software, configuring stuff, and Wonderful things, right? Wonderful, wonderful things. For that audience, uh, the option of having something self-hosted is actually a lot more attractive. This is exactly the right audience to be looking at a Mattermost or a NextCloud or a Jitsi server and seeing how they play together and figuring out the stun servers and the RTP protocols and the turn servers and the UDP networking considerations and what ports do need to be open and what ports don't need to be open and making sure your disk's encrypted. And sure, it might cost you a couple of days, but guess what? If you're doing something where your life depends on it, like Edward Snowden was, or your business depends on it because you've got uh, intellectual property that some foreign actor is trying to steal, or that you're actually fighting as an activist for change in your country and trying to bring uh, freedom and uh, transparency to elections, um, you know, like by encouraging people to mail in their ballots or something like that, then you might be subject to attacks. And if you're subject to attacks, you'd rather face the attack front on, see that it's happening, be able to mount your own defense, then outsource your defense to a company like Slack or like Zoom or like Apple, who, although well-intended and people that I would probably really like and get on with, still don't have your best interest in the front of their mind as much as you do. Their life doesn't depend on it. Yours does. Their company doesn't depend on it. Yours does. Their privacy doesn't depend on it. Yours does. So if you've got the skills, if you've got the means and you really want the guarantee that you're doing something that's private and the privacy really matters. You've only got that one choice. You've got to do it yourself. And it depends on your threat model, obviously. Well, an, an interesting thing about um, Signal, for example, is you know, Signal isn't busy um, caring about anybody's um, 
privacy as a, I mean, I'm talking about the developers. They're, it's, it's, you're totally on your own. And that's, that's what's, you need, the, you need the means by which you can watch your own ass. That's <laughs> what you're talking about. And whereas, you know, if you depend utterly on Apple or Facebook or something else, they, you have this intermediary, you have this other party the, you know, that, that you have to rely on. And, uh, you know, some of us would rather rely on ourselves. You know, Personally, like did. I'm really happy when I can rely on somebody smarter than me. Yeah, yeah that's me the thing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but, but, there, but there are things, you know, that, um, uh, Catherine was mentioning earlier, you know, the, the Apple Watch. Well, you know, I have a heart app on the Apple Watch that can tell me if I'm having atrial fibrillation, which nothing else does. So I've got one. You know, my cardiologist said, get one of those. So I have one. And there, there's, unfortunately, you know, it'd be really great if there was an open source watch that had that on it, you know, or something that I could uh, have around um, that did that. But that thing does. So sometimes you just have to go with what, you know, what's available, even if you're making some kind of moral compromise doing it. I'm not recommending that, by the way, but I'm just saying that there are some places, sometimes it's like that. That is an eminently pragmatic and not extremist point of view. Yeah, it's purely pragmatic. Uh, it's a, and, and, you know, we make pragmatic choices a lot, you know, but we, we have our ideals too. You know, I would love, I mean, I love the fact that I can still host my own web server and host my own email if I want to. Both of those things became a pain in the ass and I don't host those things anymore. And nobody's the wiser in front. And it's, it's helpful that I have, I can, I, my Searles.com mail is at Rackspace and I can, I pay him 10 bucks a month for that. But the important thing there is that it's substitutable. I can yank it out of there and I can put it somewhere else. I could put it back on my own server in a, in a basement somewhere if I want to. And that's, you know, have, be, having the ability to do that is what's cool. Well, and, 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 you know, it's funny, we, we talk about prag- pragmatism and it's, um, we tend to become a lot more pragmatic when we're talking about keeping ourselves alive. <laughs> and, it, and sometimes that actually does uh, dovetail nicely with our ideology in the case of Signal. Um, but uh, anyway, I digress. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's hard to find the, the right thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm very bigoted about a stick shift. I wanted all of my kids to be able to drive a stick shift car. And with the older ones, that was the only choice, right? They had to learn on one of those things. And, but I haven't had a car that does that in a long time. So my youngest kid has never driven a stick shift and we couldn't even find one for him to drive, honestly. So, and now he lives in Manhattan and nobody leaves their apartments. <laughs> so it, it almost doesn't matter. Um, but, you know, you know, again, it's a, you know, a lot of practical considerations. Also, you know, another consideration that, that is worth talking about, I think, is that, um, so we talked about Zoom at the very beginning, right? And, and Zoom has some issues. It has some security issues that have been brought up by, you know, a few people. They've since hired, you know, one of the top security consultants around, and I'm sure that they will get on track. But this is a, you know, it's still, it's still worth noting that I think it would be tough for any application to withstand the scrutiny that comes with that level of popularity increase, the sudden popularity, you know, that came about because of the 
pandemic quarantine that forced everybody to, to live their lives almost exclusively on the internet. Um, and suddenly everybody's using Zoom. And, 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 and for that reason, suddenly it's under a microscope. And I, I, don't, well, it, I don't know if other applications oh, could I think that, could I'm not sure that, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm no, not no. sure that there's ever been an example quite like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean I, when I was talking to Eric uh, Yuan, their CEO, I mean, was, you know, a week and a half ago, uh, his background screen, like my background screen right now, is, is, is an oil platform off the coast of California. His was the San Francisco skyline, right? And, and I, you know, it's kind of like what happened to Zoom was all the buildings on that skyline drained out and they all went on Zoom. And oh, by the way, every church and every school and every university and, you know, everybody suddenly adopted this thing because they did a better job. Now, the interesting thing about them is that they actually never meant it to be the world's um, conferencing system. They, they had a, a B2B offering, basically. I mean, they made a, over a half billion dollars the last I looked entirely by selling this to big companies. And, and some small companies, but it was basically, there was a free version, but it was a freemium offering. And at the high end, it was a lot of handholding and, 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 and close association. So two universities I know, uh, you know, on this, uh, who were using Zoom, uh, one is Harvard and the other one is Arizona State, which is the largest university in the country uh, in terms of the undergraduate population is something like 70,000. And they moved on to that like overnight. I mean, they, everything they did went on to that. And they worked very closely with Zoom on that. And, and you know, at least, you know, so their chief technical guy told me anyway. And, and I've heard no complaints about that. And that, that's astonishing. And I have another kind of a hats off toward Facebook, by the way. And much as I dislike the platform for many, many reasons, they... They held, they've had very few crashes. Remember Twitter early on? There was a fail, <laughs> fail, fail every five minutes, you know, and, and I, I did a lot of photography on Flickr and Flickr had problems. But Facebook has been remarkable. I think they've had like one or two big fails. And aside from that, nothing. That's astonishing that they've been able to do that. Same with Google, same with, and everybody's using Amazon as a back end and what, including Zoom, by the way, you know, they're using Amazon and, AWS, you know, all hail Linux on that too, right? You know, is is this remarkable thing? It's just this utility. You expect you expect it to be there, like you expect the electric grid to be there. Only it's a lot more complicated, and making that work is just almost astonishing. And and that the the good thing, at least in the case of AWS, is it's not telling what's running on it what to do. It's agnostic to that but you still wonder, right? You know, because you're not rolling your own all the way down. I would really love to heap the praise on Facebook like you just did. But (laughs) for me, that is the the absolute most bitter case of all because never even even including zoom never has a tool come along that did more to enable the interpersonal communication of people in families and communities and to organize events and to share things that were meaningful and to keep in touch with people that you were far away from never did a tool do more to actually make the internet into something like what people want it to be to 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 give it its 
ultimate purpose, which was to really find and connect with people. It even powers Tinder for God's sake. It should have been the best thing that ever happened to the internet. But at the same time, they are the most egregious abusers of your privacy and do the absolute least that I can detect to actually protect the people that power their platform, the, the people who use it. So, I mean, they yeah. enable tracking. Your messages are not private. Uh, they, do, they, 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 they will not take false information off of their platform when it's verifiably false. They uh, provide a platform for hate groups. They, through the last election cycle, and look where that's gotten us. So, yeah, well, they care about, they care about privacy like Trump cares about facts. You know, that's, <laughs> it's about the same. And, and they're not built for, the weird thing is they're, and I've talked to some people there about this, they're, at a, at a base level, they have a very simple architecture that's very hard to change. And, and, and it's one that everybody's familiar with. There's, you know, but beneath that UI is something that's busy profiling everybody and using that profiling to, to, route, ad, to route ads based on, on you know, targeting parameters. And, it's all about routing ads. And it, it's all about There's, routing ads. And, you don't have and, to look any further than the motivation. It's but, all but the about thing routing. is, they can't, fixing that is really, really hard. Yeah, it's, they would have and, to not depend on it, ads. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, beyond that, but yeah, you, they can't fix that. But the other thing they can't fix is, is like you said, you know, they allow these, you know, hate groups to have a to, to have a, a group or, or just to have hate ads. If you want to, hey, I, I want to make black people in Florida, hit, you know, distrust Hillary Clinton and not go out and vote. They, people did that, okay, in 2016. And, and it was real easy to do with Facebook. And so, but the thing is, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal had a really great piece like several years ago, which with the, the, the title was, um, you know, Facebook hires 20,000 people to do the work computers can't, which is look at human depravity, the worst of human depravity and, and, and turn it off. That's, that's how they do it. They do it with human beings who are busy looking at, you know, heads chopped off and, and, and worse, you know, on a, on a constant basis. And I mean, 20,000 people they hired to do that because their machines couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, how do they fix that? I don't, I'm not sure they have fixed it. I think but it's they, still there. But they could fix it partially the way that YouTube fixes their ad problem partially as well by having premium tiers where you can say, no, that's not worth it to me. I would rather do without all of that. Let me pay you. I know what your service right. is worth to me. I'm a higher earner relative to some of your audience. Let me just give you some money and you turn that shit It would off. be great. Can I say I think- shit on this podcast, Catherine? Um, yes. To be determined. Until we can't get away with it anymore. I don't know. Okay, don't so, know. but in that world, though, where you, you, you have a, a uh, freemium model for something like Facebook, though, that, doesn't that just mean that marginalized groups, lower earners are the ones that are most easily manipulated? You know, in, in Doc's example, well, you know, the, the people who were being, you know, convinced not to vote for Hillary Clinton are not the people who are going to be able to pay for Facebook. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, while I, I understand your point, I don't know that that's a solution either. I, I, th- I think they could easily do it. I think they could easily make, um, 
have a freemium model. I mean, they could do it. They bought WhatsApp and WhatsApp had actually, you know, a dollar a year uh, when they started out. And I don't know what percentage of people paid it, but it was a lot. And they got, you know, what a better part of a billion users, including a lot that paid money. This may be apocryphal. Maybe somebody in the audience can, can weigh in with this uh, uh, on this, which is that they wanted to go after Google and Google was in the ad business. And they wanted to poach people from Google, which they did when they moved to Silicon Valley. And Google and Facebook became mortal enemies, mostly over talent, over who, who worked where. And they were in the same business and they were jealous of each other. Where, where Google was jealous of Facebook's ability to get much more intimate with people and because they knew much more about individuals who were on the platform, Facebook was jealous of Google's ability to shoot people with ads on the and and that's what happened. It was like two advertising companies going after each other and ignoring other ways of making money. And we're still there. Uh, the point I was trying to make earlier, though, um, I wanted to get back to it really quickly, though, was so about going back to Zoom. Zoom is was the sort of anointed one you know, in this, in this particular scenario, because everybody seemed to flock to Zoom. I, I don't know anybody who didn't at least initially, um, in terms of schools and businesses and even individuals and very, very small businesses, um, they all switched to, they all started using Zoom all of a sudden. And, but I wonder, had, had the anointed one, so to speak, been Google Teams, or no, sorry, Google, <laughs> uh, Microsoft Teams or uh, Google Meet, would they have survived the same scrutiny? Well, I, you know, I don't know. Can I address that? Because I, I missed yes. my chance to heap praise on Zoom. So what did Zoom do? Uh, they did something incredible. They came to the market after similar products were already established, including a product that is native to Google's G Suite. It's the easiest thing on earth to set up a Google Meet or a Google Hangout as it used to be. I mean, you just basically have to make a calendar invite and boom, you've got a hyperlink that takes you into a web conference. How could that be easier? Yet Zoom came in and one business like from Platform SH, who is a happy Zoom subscriber, because they actually came and added more value to that space than Google was providing. It usually works the other way around. Usually Google comes in and takes a business like Zoom and basically throws them off the bus because they've just got the scale to do that. But this is a case where Zoom came out and challenged Google and won. And I think that's really amazing. I mean, Google would have had the infrastructure to do it. And some people are probably using Google Meets and Google's uh, freed up their uh, enterprise tiers and some of their features that are normally paid for features to uh, just about anybody during this crisis. But people are still going to Zoom. Uh, and that's because they simply offer product better experience with exactly the right mix of features that people want and they're being responsive could you imagine google actually responding to doc searle's criticism of them or no. anybody <laughs> else's criticism of them and the ceo of the company gets on the phone hell no, no. come on i mean those are cool guys who started google but they're not responsive to customer complaining they're kind yeah. of the opposite right. so Zoom has been amazing in this situation. They're so amazing that my sister, who is an elementary school teacher in Michigan, is sitting at home in the mornings and evenings taking coursework over Zoom so that she can learn more herself and become a better teacher and get uh, more advanced degrees. And then during the day, she's teaching her class using Zoom. And this is a tool she had never heard of before Corona. She, she, she heard of cor coronavirus before she heard of the tool Zoom. But now she's basically on it all day. 
So I think Zoom deserves all the praise and, we can give them. Yeah, it's also turned into, you know, it's tuned, it's turned into a verb, you know, let's Zoom. It's like, it's like they have become the conferencing with Google is to search. And, and again, in a, in a very short time, it, I was talking to my wife about this at, uh, over our lunch just a f- actually a few minutes ago about if we talk to him again, besides what he called me about and said he would do, what else could we advise them to do? I mean, they seem to be pretty good at doing what they're doing. I mean, if you, once they fix the leaks, once they, you know, um, you know, add some, you know, add some of what everybody's asking for on it, there's so many directions they can innovate. And they clearly are doing a great job. I mean, I've, I've, I was mentioning with this guy that works for a big, one of the big non, nonprofits, it's a, it's a science organization. He, was, he wanted to show me the science that they put into it. He said, you should see the great work they're doing. You know, when you, when you have the full enterprise version and you're looking under the hood at, at how it's managing the way people communicate. And he said, there's some really smart shit going on here. So, you know, hats off. But I also think, you know, it's a competitive market. Lots of new stuff can come up here. And is this the only way to work? You know, they are a platform too, to some degree. Like, so we're, we have a conference coming up at the end of this month, the Internet, Internet Identity Workshop, which always happens at the Computer History Museum. It happens twice a year. And it has to be virtual this time. The museum shut down like everything else. And we were actually ready uh, and we're ready now to, to move it online and, and not just in the physical world. So, and we're doing it through something called Kiko Chat, Q-I-Q-O Chat, which works with Zoom. In other words, you got Zoom, you can use Kiko Chat. Uh, and I, I was unaware before that that they are also something of a platform or an API anyway that you can call on for, to handle the heavy lifting with whatever it is. I've not used Kiko Chat yet. I need to get familiar with it before we, before we uh, get on. But, I think but that's we'll, we're going to have multiple rooms. It'll be, it, it'll be a real conference with um, an open space conference, like an unconference, but it's all open space. Everybody goes to their own bre- breakout rooms. At the beginning of the day, people vet what their topics are, say, I'm going to, you know, I, I want to talk about uh, Slack alternatives, you know, great Slack alternatives, doc, you, you know, you get a room and, and the conference, the, so many conferences take place simultaneously. And then people get together one big one at the beginning and the end of every day. See, um, I, I've, I'm, I'm a, a self-confessing uh, conference attendee and therefore climate criminal. I've flown <laughs> to so many conferences oh, that I wouldn't be able to count them. And uh, I read articles every day. I mean, the warning signs are being blasted at us by the scientific community that ecological collapse is imminent if we don't change the way that we live. And I've, for years now, been ever more critical of the habit of the tech industry to have so many conferences that you could basically do nothing except go to conferences, maybe two or three a day even, if you're in a city like San Francisco, uh, every day of the year and still not get to half of them. So why are there so many conferences? And all of a sudden, there aren't. Oh my God, there aren't. They're, they're just going away. And guess what? There's not a cataclysmic, horrible effect on the industry as a result. Not yet in any case. And I don't think there will be because we can adapt. We can do things online. We can have on conferences with Zoom and Quack or Q 
peacock or whatever you called it. So you, you can do that. And uh, a lot of my team, which is the developer relations team, the DevRel team, the evangelists team um, at Platform SH, we had dozens of conferences lined up for us to go to because that's the thing you do. You go to the conferences, you talk about your product at, at conferences. They all got canceled, every single one. There's not a single conference that we're definitely booked to go to in the entire calendar. We've replaced them with online conferences, with webinars, with webcasts. We're doing more blogging. We're paying more attention to our documentation. And hmm, that's interesting. amazingly, we are getting more leads. It's working. It's really, that's interesting. Better. Hey, have you noticed that, that O'Reilly just like one of the biggest conference givers in tech, right? Bailed on yeah. it. They're done. Yeah. They cancel them all. They're Good. doing them all online. I hope they stay that way. I hope that after the Corona vaccine gets, you know, administered and herd immunity is there and we can go out and be social again. I hope that we just stop it. Stop flying everywhere yeah. because we can afford to. I have such mixed feelings about that because I am a, a 1.5 million mile flyer with United alone. My wife is like a 3 million mile flyer with United. That goes back a farther distance. And before that, she was one with Pan Am uh, as well. And, and of course, most of it's the conferences, right? And, and it's, it is, and I do aerial photography. I have many thousands of photographs I've taken from planes and, and I love aviation. I, I, I love the whole thing. At the same time, it's really interesting to me to look at the sky here in Santa Barbara where we're on the flight path from basically everything in South America and Mexico to the West Coast other than leaving from Los Angeles. And the sky is usually full of contrails. And if you look at it, if you study weather, um, I'm not talking about the, the, the wackos that talk about chemtrails. No, I'm talking about actual contrails, the one that the, the clouds that aviation lays down at high altitude. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. It has to have a climate effect. I don't know what the hell it is, whether it traps heat or whether it, re, you know, or whether it, it reflects enough sunlight that it's actually has the opposite effect on the climate. Whatever it is, it, it lays down a lot of stripes in the sky that turn into high altitude clouds and affect weather. And if it affects far more than that, it's really amazing. And, but I'm not seeing them now. I see a few of them. I have an app, Flight Radar 24. It's a good one. You still see a lot of aviation on it, but nothing near what we used to have because there's a lot, and a lot of planes are flying half empty, right? Which means that they're using less fuel, but they just have to get from one place to another, even if they don't have passengers. But the whole thing's going to get redone. I mean, it's clearly going to happen. I'm not uh, sure it'll change, though. I think people's behavior won't change. And if tomorrow everybody says, if, if, if they say, oh, hey, it's safe to fly again, and but guess what prices are like they were before, then it's going to be instantly business as usual. I don't think that will change, even though the, the lesson that we've been shown is that you can actually replace that type of conference with Zoom or uh, here's, a big, here's a big part of it. In United they made a bet a few years ago that there's a bigger there's a bigger business in business, and there are just a lot of companies that have expense account flying, and they and they want to fly first class. They want to earn their way into first class, and so or into business class. There's no first class in many cases, and so they enlarged the the business class and shrank the other the rest of the plane. And I think with the 
you know, that's the conference class. That's, that's the, you know, the front of the plane is the people going to conferences and the people are getting paid well to go to conferences. And having been in that business, I know how easily companies cut that as an expense. The conferences are on the expense side of the balance sheet. And, and so is advertising for that matter. Advertising is going to take a huge hit on this thing. Not so much the kind that's in Facebook, which is very targeted and, and often small potatoes, but, but the big brand advertising, a lot of that, I think a lot of it's going to go by the wayside. Well, look I at think- that. Two horrible evils killed with one virus, advertising <laughs> oh, and air travel. I love it. Boy, boy. I, you know, I, I don't, I, I think the, the change from this will, will be lasting. I, you know, I think that it's going to take so long for things to go back to anything like what we would have considered normal that I think there will inevitably be some massive changes. I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see, Doc, for your, for your conference, the Internet Identity Workshop, it'll be interesting to see the change in attendees. Suddenly people will have the opportunity to attend who didn't before. Well, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that too. I, I know well, that will be interesting. We, we had lots, uh, we had, I think we have, we generally get like 250 to 300 people, sometimes a little more. We killed it. We killed the physical version of it about a month and a half ago. I mean, pretty early on in the conference killing <laughs> spree. Uh, but by that time, a lot of people had paid and and a lot of sponsors had paid. And to our surprise, they're not completely, most of them have not. I think we had one person saying, I want my Mac, and not one sponsor did. Now, whether able, if we were to keep it as nothing but offline, be able to keep the same loving or the same kind of sponsorship is an open question. I think a lot is going to depend, and this is kind of an interesting point that occurred to me, on how productive it is. Right. Is this, yeah. is this good? Because it's, it's actually been a very leveraged conference. I mean, a lot came out of that. Uh, uh, so, so far, for example, you know, that uh, OAuth, for example, was very much, which of course it didn't mean to be log in with Facebook and log in with Google, but that's what it turned into. But that came out of IW to a large degree. So, but, but I'm, I'm fairly optimistic about it. My guess is we're still going to have it. We're still going to have the physical version of it. But we'll see. It's an open question. Well, I think this is just. just a, sorry, yeah, I was going to say, if the Computer History Museum says, you know what, we're not even going to have the space anymore. We're we're going to we're going to put other stuff in that space. Then we probably won't do it. Then it'll be over because I don't think we'll ever be anywhere other than the Computer History Museum. It's too. We're too identified with it. It's too much, almost like part of what they do. I was just thinking that this is just yet another opportunity to innovate. Well, we're going to inevitably, or, you know, if we're, if we deserve to survive this, we will see uh, innovation in medicine. We'll see innovation in, 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 in various industries. But one of the things that I hope to see innovation is, is in, in the ways that people do business. And like Robert said earlier, you know, how, maybe there are better ways to get these leads than flying all over the world. And, you know, I think, I think there's an opportunity there to innovate. On that note, I think we've been talking for a very long time. It's, it's obviously been enjoyable because <laughs> we've continued it for quite some time. So, any final yeah, thoughts on, on any of these things? Not really for me. I mean, it, it's always, I mean, it's... You got it all out? <laughs> it's, Stay well, it's home. Kind of like, what's Be the safe. Home? 
deploy matter most? Wash your hands. Sorry, wash your hands. Wash your microphones. microphones. Always wash your microphones. Yeah. Never done that, but. <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for joining us. It was A delightful. Pleasure. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been delightful. great. And I wish you all the best in your privacy evangelism. And-